All right, Jonah 3, God's word says this. Then, then the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it the message that I tell you. So Jonah arose and went to Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. Now Nineveh was an exceedingly great city, three days' journey in breadth. Jonah began to go into the city going a day's journey, and he called out, hear these simple words, yet 40 days and Nineveh shall be overthrown. And look at the response. And the people of Nineveh believed God. They called for a fast and put on sackcloth from the greatest of them to the least of them. Now verse six, the word reached the king of Nineveh and he arose from his throne, removed his robe, covered himself with sackcloth and sat in ashes. And he issued a proclamation and published through Nineveh. By the decree of the king and his nobles, let neither man nor beast, herd nor flock, taste anything. Let them not feed or drink water. But let man and beast be covered with sackcloth and let them call out mightily to God. Let everyone turn from his evil way and from the violence that is in his hands. Who knows? God may turn and relent and turn from his fierce anger so that we may not perish. Verse 10, when God saw what they did, how they turned from their evil way, God relented of the disaster that he said he would do to them, and he did not do it. This is the word of the Lord. I've had a few wake-up calls in my life. You guys ever had a wake-up call before? I can remember back in the day when you'd stay in a, in a hotel room, we didn't have the, the little contraptions like our cell phones to set a, an alarm in the morning, and you'd call down to the front desk, and what would you ask them to do? If you needed to make a flight, you'd ask for a wake-up call, right? I need you to give me a wake-up call. Some of you who were born a little bit later, you have no idea what I'm talking about. Uh, but I've, can we, are these lights all the way up up here, or some of them out? Because I can't, I can barely see my Bible, so... It's all good. Don't worry about it. Um, I've had a few wake-up calls in my life, okay? Hey, anybody with me? Yeah, a few wake-up calls. I've had a few wake-up calls in my life. They, they vary from consequences for mistakes I've made to close calls. Mine always seem to come in the form of car accidents. I've been in way too many car accidents, none of them my fault, uh, all of them life-threatening, okay? Uh, a wake-up call is something that gets you thinking about life, decisions you've made, and the direction of your path. I would say this, God's the God of wake-up calls, and I'm thankful for that. In fact, God just gave, if you remember back to, to Jonah chapter 1, and thankful for Nate preaching last week in Jonah chapter 2, God just gave Jonah a major wake-up call, didn't he? He took him through a storm, Jonah jumped into the sea thinking he's going to die, and this big old fish swallows him up and saves him, and then vomits him out on the beach. That would be a wake-up call now, wouldn't it? I, I was involved personally in a serious car accident a, a little over 10 years ago. Thank you. Now I'm going to get hot and sweaty with all those lights. <laughs> it, it wasn't, the, the accident wasn't a wake-up call as a result of sin or, or to change my direction per se, but really just to make me think about my life. And, and it did this, it, it made me think about my commitment to the Lord's call on my life and the reality of this, that my life is truly in his hands. Like, I have no control. I, I'm living as long as the Lord allows me to. I want to share with you this accident I was in. Uh, this is back uh, when I was living in Southern California. I was an a, associate pastor at a church out there, leaving about 4 o'clock in the afternoon from church, getting ready to head home. Uh, I had a, a really nice Jeep Wrangler 
driving home, come up to the stoplight at this major highway intersection. Think of like Highway 44 on steroids, okay? And so pull up to the stoplight. The crown of the highway sits a lot higher than where I was at at the stoplight, and I needed to hang a left uh, to head towards home. Red light, so I'm waiting for it to, to change, and I start, I hear this horrendous noise. You know the accident noise, right? The, the squealing of tires and the crash. I hear this horrendous noise, and I see coming towards me uh, this white Chevrolet pickup truck, and it, was, it wasn't just the normal like Chevy pickup truck, it was the heavy-duty version. Guys, you know what I'm talking about, right? The heavy-duty version comes rolling through that intersection, running a red light with the cross traffic coming across, and begins to hit, hit vehicles. And he was going so fast that they were just, it was like a Transformer movie. You know when the Transformers come underneath the streets and stuff just starts flying out of the way? That's what it was like. And so I'm seeing this truck hurling towards me. And so I leaned over. I started thinking about what my funeral was going to look like for that split second. And and the truck actually caught air and flew over the top of my Jeep, hitting the top. It was like a ragtop Jeep, peeled the top of my Jeep off so I could see the bottom of the truck as it went over the top of me, landed on the car behind me, and then rolled probably another 20 yards or so. He, so he was, they, they estimated he was going 90 miles an hour through uh, the intersection. There was seven people that were airlifted in that accident. Everybody survived. I just want to tell you that. No, there, nobody died. And I sat up and I, I looked at myself and I didn't have a scratch on me, not an injury. My emotions were scarred a little bit. And I got out of my vehicle, and it was that weird, I don't know if you've been in a situation like this, but it was just that weird, eerie silence that happens right after something like that, where like the world stopped for just a few seconds. Got out, kind of, I started, you know, coming to assess the situation and started kind of sprinting around from car to car. There was a number of us trying to offer assistance and aid and help because there were some people that were seriously, seriously injured. Like I said, there was like six or seven people that were airlifted out of this accident, Um, and I, nothing, like, nothing happened other than that my Jeep was destroyed. You think that's a wake-up call? You know, okay, Lord, I know my life's in your hands. Like, I had the music picked out for my funeral in my head. Within that split second, like, the whole thing was planned out, what I wanted. And seeing, the other thing was, like, my, my wife actually worked right down the street, and she had heard about this horrendous accident and then realized that it was me in it. And, you know, seeing my kids drive up, helicopters landing, it was just, uh, it was really kind of a surreal experience. And I would say it was a huge wake-up call to me. Not that I was in, I wasn't in sin. I wasn't really doing anything wrong. It was just a realization, like, okay, God, I get it. Wherever you want me to go, I'm going to go. I'm going to listen to you because I know you're the only reason that I survived um, that accident. God is, I'll say this, God's so good to give us these wake-up calls from time to time. We need wake-up calls. Sometimes they're, they're absolutely life-altering moments, such as the, the wake-up call that many of you received when you placed uh, your, your faith, your trust in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. Sometimes it's a wake-up call of, of consequences, right, for poor decisions that leads you to change direction. Like, I'm not doing that stuff anymore. And sometimes it's a wake-up call that reminds you just to be present in the day. I would say that was the thing with this accident was like, man, I need to live every single day and embrace the Lord every day because you never know. You just never know when it's going to come to an end. Embrace the path that the Lord has before you. 
And, and I want to say this, and kind of bringing us now to our main idea, God often works through his people to issue that wake-up call to others. Whether they be a lost sheep or someone who's just been led astray. And, and again, this is our main idea for today. God works through truth proclaimers to bring about a wake-up call. That's what we're going to see here in Jonah's relationship with uh, Nineveh. It says this in verse 4 and 5. Jonah began to go into the city, going a day's journey. So we're thinking a massive city. I did all this research this week, and I just I can't come to any sort of accurate conclusions about how big the city of Nineveh is. Let's just say it this way. It's a big city. Okay, Jonah's going into this big city, going a day's journey. He called out, listen to how simple this message is. Yet 40 days and Nineveh shall be overthrown. That's it. It doesn't say anything else. And the people of Nineveh believed God. You see how simple the message is and do you see the immediate response from the people in the city? They called for a fast and put on sackcloth from the greatest of them to the least of them. We find out later in this text, right? It was the king, so the highest authority and power all the way down to the animals. We're, we're, we're convinced of the greatness of God. And so I want, I want to look at, at two things right off the bat. I, I use this term, truth proclaimers. I, I talk often about the proclamation of the gospel. And so I want to define what is a proclaimer? What is somebody that, that proclaims something? So I looked up handily on dictionary.com. What does it mean to proclaim something? Uh, someone to, who proclaims is someone who is announcing or declaring in an official or formal manner. That's what Jonah is who? God's representative. The Lord actually said, speak the words that I tell you to say. So Jonah, being a prophet of God, is speaking exactly what God wants him to say. He's in a sense like, you know how we have uh, uh, Nathan is, is, is an official announcement maker? Heidi's an announcement maker. Jonah is God's announcement maker to Nineveh. He's speaking the truth. And, and since God is truth, the scriptures tell us this, that it's impossible for God to lie. We find that in Hebrews 6.18. Jonah is not only God's announcement maker, Jonah is God's truth teller. Jonah is God's truth teller. And so the question may come up, what is truth? Dictionary.com. Truth is, I had to look this up because truth in our day and age, it doesn't seem as, to some people, as straightforward as truth really is, in my opinion. And, and dictionary.com, interestingly enough, said truth is conformity with fact or reality, which seems to miss some people in our culture, but that's another sermon for another day. <laughs> as we'll find today, full conformity uh, with our spiritual reality, so this is truth, understanding our spiritual reality, meaning embracing our true position before God, it's disruptive. When we understand, apart from Jesus, our position to God, it's disruptive in our lives. In order to help a person understand the human problem, one must, this is what I'm getting at here, one must include the whole truth, the whole truth, including, this is what Jonah gives us in his message, including the drastic consequences for not changing or heeding the wake-up call of God. Jonah is issuing a wake-up call to Nineveh. Will they respond? And he's, I mean, he's not sidestepping the reality of their situation and what awaits them if they don't change. I'm going to parallel this morning some of Jonah's message, a simple proclamation 
with Paul's proclamation, which is in the New Testament, about 800 or so years later, after the coming of Jesus, his death and resurrection, Paul wrote this beautiful letter uh, that we have in Scripture called Romans. And Paul gives us, he gives us basically the whole picture of the gospel uh, within Romans. He says this actually in Romans 1, 16 to 17. He says, for I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. I always like to pause and say, what is the Greek? It's that he meant they're Gentiles or those who are not Jews. So I'll say it this way, everybody else. For everybody else, the nations, Paul goes on, for in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith. As it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. What we have here is is a very simple message also from Paul that he will then, Paul will then go on in the book of Romans to expand in detail what the gospel is and it takes him 16 chapters to do so. Romans is, is really an, I believe an exhaustive proclamation of the gospel and also its implications on our daily lives. And with this as our main idea, our main backdrop, God works, right? Our main backdrop is this, God works through truth proclaimers to bring about a wake-up call. We're going to look at a few lessons that we learn from Jonah chapter 3. So the first thing that we learn is this, speaking truth conveys trust and obedience. I want to say this, speaking the whole truth, right? Jonah was speaking a message of judgment, wasn't he? A message of judgment. And he spoke the whole truth. It conveys trust and obedience. Verses 1 to 4. Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time. I'm going to pause there. I wrestled this week as I was kind of finishing up this sermon. The the original title that I sent in was Second Chances. And then I was like, no, I kind of like wake up call. But both could work. We're seeing here Jonah's getting what? He's getting a second chance. We've all received second chances and third chances and fourth over and over and over again. Right? Jonah's getting a second chance after his own wake-up call. What's that word of the Lord? So arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, call out against it the message that I tell you. So God again is giving Jonah a chance to respond. So what does Jonah do this time? So Jonah arose went to Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. I want to say the truth, right? The word of the Lord is the truth. Now, Nineveh was an exceedingly great city, three days journey in breath. Jonah began to go into the city, going a day's journey, and he called out, yet 40 days and Nineveh shall be overthrown. That's the only recorded words that we have of Jonah's message. Again, going back into thinking about the size of the city, also researching like, well, is this really all Jonah said? It's what the scriptures have written. So I'm going to take, I'm going to take it at its word that this is what Jonah was preaching when he went into Nineveh, this simple message. Now, the first lesson we learned from Jonah back in chapter one was that disobedience to God brings drastic consequences. Did you hear that? Disobedience to God brings drastic consequences, but within those consequences, the beauty of God and his providence, his plan Within those consequences, God is, is purposeful in bringing about his desired end. What am I saying? Even though you mess up, God can still bring about his desired end. We see that in Jonah, right? He's what we would call a mess up, isn't he? He messed up, but yet God still brings his desired end. In this case, what's the desired end? That the truth would be proclaimed to the people of Nineveh. Jonah here shows that, that speaking the truth conveys our own faith, trust in the Lord. 
In other words, our, our willingness to do what God has called us to do confirms our trust in him. We don't necessarily use that word faith very much, but we understand trust, don't we? It, it's basically, it's, that's what faith is. It's trusting God, trusting his word. And it con- conveys this, obedience. When we do what God tells us to do, we're trusting him and we're obeying his word. The amazing thing is that, is that God uses the negative truth that, right? That's not a very good message, is it? It's not really positive and uplifting, that you're going to be destroyed. Would anybody be really uplifted by that message? No. God uses the negative truth that Jonah proclaims in a simple message. He brings revival to a whole city. God can do those kind of things. Jonah used very few words to issue a wake-up call to the Ninevites, right? I have personally, in, in my own library, like I have shelves of books on what we call evangelism. What's evangelism? When we purposefully go out and share Jesus with people in hopes that they will convert to our belief, our faith. We're a, we're a missional religion. We don't just stand idly by. We believe we have the truth. We believe there's consequences for not following the ways of God, and we want to see others saved from that judgment. That's our desire, to be very clear to you. And I have books on evangelism and sharing your faith. In my undergraduate degree, I took a whole class on evangelism that was required. In my graduate degree, I took another whole class on evangelism. And here, Jonah uses, in our English translation, he uses eight words to get the point across. This is not, this isn't in my notes. You want to know why? Because it's up to God. God does the work. He just works through the obedience of his people. And, and these eight words that Jonah uses here are all focused on the judgment of God. Interestingly enough, looking at ourselves, if we will look at the way that we share our faith, if the judgment of God is conveyed, I know I do this, it's usually kind of tucked away at the end. Oh, and by the way, if you don't respond, this is what the reality is, right? Most of us avoid speaking of God's judgment like the plague, but Jonah here proclaims the truth uh, of the reality of, I'll call it the human condition. Okay, the human condition is that we're sinful and we are in our kind of our natural state, we're rebellious to God. In a sense, what Jonah is saying is if you don't do something, you will have a serious problem when you come face to face with God. And the message still rings true today. Did you know that? If you don't do something, you will have a serious problem when you come face to face with God. Christian, we can't be afraid to share that message. Looking to the New Testament example of truth proclamation, this is why I included Romans that we look that we see in Romans. Paul actually begins, so you know, verse chapter one, verse 16. He makes this beautiful statement. A lot of us have that memorized, right? For I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation. Do you know what comes in verse 18, though? Paul launches into this kind of exhaustive statement on the judgment of God and humanity's condition apart from God. So much so, he talks from uh, chapter 1, verse 18, all the way into chapter 3, verse 21, before he really starts getting to what we would call the good news. Righteousness from Jesus. Paul says this in Romans 1.18, and I'll bookend it with Romans 1, 
uh, 32, he says, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. Going on, though they know God's righteous decree that those who practice such things deserve to die, they not only do them, but give approval to those who practice them, right? So you, you not only practice it yourself, but you're telling everybody else, hey, that's okay to do. Does that sound familiar? Have you, have you guys looked around at our society? Approval of sin is rampant everywhere that you look. The, the good news of Jesus, the, the good news of God's grace and mercy, I want to say this, they're absolutely meaningless if we do not include the bad news, right? We can't have good news if there isn't bad news to go along with it. And the bad news is this, is that God is coming. When, when Christ returns, he's returning in judgment and wrath against what? Against sin, our problem. That's our human condition. What are we to do? What are we to do with this message? We have to make clear in our public witness to the lost that apart from faith in Jesus, they have a problem. And ultimately, that that problem will lead to eternal separation and judgment from God if they do not respond to the truth of the gospel by faith or trust Scripture instructs, again, in Romans 1.17, he's quoting the Old Testament prophet Habakkuk, the righteous shall live by faith. I want to share, God actually aligned this story providentially yesterday. Uh, I was hanging out at a little gathering last night uh, to welcome a young man home who was just recently adopted from Malawi, Simeon, uh, and I was talking with a brother uh, Aaron Branch, who leads Fellowship of Christian Athletes in our county here. I've, I've talked about him in the past, and we we're just sharing a little bit about ministry, and he shared a story with me. He was a, a character coach for a, a local uh, sports team here at one of the local high schools. And he said for weeks he was going in and encouraging the boys on this team and sharing about Jesus with them, but they were basically acting like, you know, high school boys do. Right? They were acting a fool, joking around, messing around, not taking what he was saying seriously, mocking him. And at one point he said, hey guys, I need you to listen up. This is serious. There's eternal consequences if you don't listen to this message and respond. And he said clear to them, you, if you are not in Christ, if you don't receive Jesus, you face an eternity of punishment and the wrath of God. You face hell. The boys straightened right up and started listening. They started hearing the words. Family, we have to share the whole truth. I know it's uncomfortable. I don't like talking about hell. But Jesus sure did talk a lot about it, didn't he? And scripture says here, Jonah talked about the reality of God's coming judgment. So we have to make clear in our public witness to the lost that apart from faith in Jesus, They have a problem. It brings us to our second point. Here's the beauty of this passage. We're going to see a beautiful response. Speaking the truth, and I emphasized will, will bring a response, right? The proclamation of the gospel never returns void, positively and negatively. You have to respond when someone talks to you about Jesus. Verse 5, here's the response. And the people of Nineveh believed God. 
They called for a fast, put on sackcloth from the greatest of them right to the king, all the way down to the least of them, the animals. The gospel demands a response. When the gospel is presented, it leaves no room for fence riding. That's what you have to think about, friends, as you share your faith. There's, there's, no, there's no middle ground in, 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 in the gospel, in receiving the gospel. It demands a decision, a response from the person who is hearing it. And the beauty of the book of Jonah is we witness this, okay? A wicked and rebellious people transformed by the power of the truth immediately. Think about the worst person that, you know, Nineveh was carrying out atrocities against the human race. They were an enemy of God's people. And God in his grace and mercy sent Jonah to proclaim his judgment and they believed God. Think about the worst person you know in sharing the gospel and they believe it and they turn from their sin and they run to the cross of Christ. God is able to do that. We have this beautiful picture of what it looks like to be wholly changed to fully heed the wake-up call of the gospel, the first thing that we see is a realization of sin. A realization of sin. I've called it the human problem. And and we see in in Nineveh that they're grieved by their sin. There's a sense of dread that comes over them. For those of you who have been found in Christ, you understand what I'm talking about. That sense of dread that comes over you when you finally realize, I need Jesus. I can't do this on my own. Even in Christ, that sense of dread that you find when, man, you've just messed up and messed up and messed up, and the Lord's shaking you up. You see, a realization of sin, this dread comes over them because of their condition, and they feel grief. There's a sense of grief for their evil ways. Notice what the king does here in verse 6. The word reached the king of Nineveh, right? So the most powerful person in this city. And he arose from his throne, look at this, removed his robe, covered himself with sackcloth, okay? Think of your most ratty clothes that you have. And he went and sat in ashes. A very unkingly response, isn't it? If a foreign enemy threatens and confronts a king, what do they do? They usually double down on power and they show strength, right? Yet the leader of Nineveh grants us a a visual picture of grief over his sin, and not only his sin, but the sin of his people, whom he represents. He rises up from his throne. He steps down from his position of power and control. He removes his garments of prestige and clothes himself in sackcloth, and he sits in ashes. Guys, we love to build bonfires in the backyard, right? Think about when that thing cools off a few days and you go out there and you just plopped yourself down right in that. Who's going to do that, right? You're going to be all dirty, have ash all over you. That's what the king does in response when he, when he hears about the sin of him and his people. The realization, though, doesn't just stay in grief, right? We can be grieved by our sin but not be changed. But then now he moves to our our second point here. He moves to a a positive questioning and and response. So we see a response to sin now. 
Verse 7 in the beginning part of verse 8, and he issued a proclamation and published through Nineveh, right? So this is coming down from the king. People, listen up. By the decree of the king and his nobles, let neither man nor beast, herd nor flock, taste anything. Let them not feed or drink water, but let man and beast be covered with sackcloth and let them, hear this, let them call out mightily to God. Right? The, the king doesn't just stop with mere introspection, looking in on his own emotions and his shortcomings and personal repentance, but then he demands that his people follow suit, even down to the animals. Man, as I was reading this as a father, as a, as a king in a sense over my household, my heart was gripped. Dads, are you doing this in your home? Do you feel the weight of your own sin and the, and the weight of the sin of your home that the Lord has placed you within? That you're calling your whole family like, we need to follow after God. You want to see revival break out in our society? Fathers, step up and lead your homes. Can you imagine the, the racket of noise in the city as the days wore on in the fasting, right? Animals, like my dogs, if I feed them an hour late in the morning, they're whining and barking and crying. Can you imagine days and days and days without food or water? I can imagine that the children were also brought into the fast. Those kids, you ever had hungry kids around? Probably just an absolute racket in this city. And the questions emerge from the people. If we were to read on in verse 8, there's a statement made. Who knows, right? Who knows what God's going to do? In other words, they're questioning God. I get this picture of people saying, God, what do we need to do to fix our condition? That's what I hope uh, lost people do when we proclaim the gospel. What do I need to do to fix my position before God? What do I do? That's what happened. I'm, I'm thinking about Peter when he's preaching in Acts chapter 2. He's, he's preaching hard, hard truths. And, and the men cry and they say, what are we supposed to do? That's the response to sin. When we're grieved, then we say, what do I do about it? What should I do? Outwardly, they, they display this grief of sin in their actions, attitudes, and posture before God. And in our present time, when we realize our condition before God, we must humble ourselves. We don't go sit in ashes, but we humble ourselves before the cross of Jesus. We sit down at the foot of the cross here they sat in ashes. Realization then leads to response or the questioning, what are we to do to this? This is a beautiful word. It leads, to, of them, it leads them to repent of sin. Repent of sin. We're so afraid to say this word repentance and we can't. We have to repeat it over and over again. Repent of sin. That's an action word. Notice the first few words of this next section, the, the last part of 8 into verse 9. Let everyone turn, right? Repent. Turn from his evil way and from the violence that is in his hands. Then the question, who knows? Like, what's God going to do? God may turn and relent and turn from his fierce anger so that we may not perish. Repentance is this, to be very clear, is the action of turning from sin, and it's not just a one-time action in the life of a Christian. It's each and every moment-by-moment moment day we are repenting. We're turning away because our flesh pulls us back towards a sinful lifestyle. We have to rip ourselves away by the power of God's Spirit and the instruction of His Word and run to the cross. 
We have to embrace this word repentance. Fast forward to our time. The the amazing thing is the certainty that we have to the question of, of the Ninevites. We have certainty to the question. They say, who knows, right? They're perplexed. What's God gonna do? God may turn and relent from his fierce anger so that we may not perish. They're not certain, are they, at this point? Here's the good news. That was before Jesus came. We're on the other side of the cross. On this side of the cross, on this side of Christ's perfect life, death, and resurrection, we have certainty that God will relent at the sign of our repentance. We're not saying, who knows? Because Jesus did this. Jesus has taken on the full wrath and judgment of God upon his death. It's the purpose of the cross. And he's given us this. He's, he's, given us, he's given to us a sign of his promise of life. He promises us eternal life, abundant life. Through this, his resurrection from the dead. What is the resurrection? It's his seal of truth. You have to believe the guy that died and rose from the dead. Not only did he die and rise from the dead, but he said he was going to do it. He predicted it. Jesus is God in the flesh. Jesus lived perfectly in our place. Jesus died for our sins, and he rose from the grave so that if we relent from our wicked ways, if we realize our condition before God and come in true repentance and grief over our sin, he is faithful to forgive. Scripture says this, mercy God delights in more than sacrifice. And we witness this here in this beautiful redemption story. And lastly, we see now God's response to this. That God relents of judgment. God relents of judgment. When God saw what they did, how they turned from their evil way, God relented of the disaster that he had said he would do to them. And he did not do it. I love the the double emphasis there. He relented from the disaster and he did not do it. As if the first statement wasn't enough. Like just to make sure I'm letting off. Because you have repented. Some of you in this room today, you need to hear this message and respond. Grieved by your sin. Questioning, God, what do I do? Repenting. Turn to Jesus. Run to your Savior. Jesus has... If you place your faith, your trust, your confidence in the finished work of Jesus, if you believe that Jesus came and lived perfectly for you, fully obeyed the law of God and the will of God even unto death, rose from the grave in victory over sin and death, if you believe in that, God will forgive you. All your sins, past, present, future. Paul says to the Colossians that he canceled the record of our debt against him. He says, nailing it to the cross. I love that. It's gone. Our last point, speaking the truth reflects Jesus. Speaking the truth reflects Jesus. We act like Jesus when we are willing and obey in speaking the whole truth. Jesus spoke often of the judgment of God. 
So the question comes like, why are we so unwilling to do so? Why does it make us so uncomfortable? Why don't we trust the means he has given us to draw distant people to him? I wrestle with this each and every time I get up to preach. I want your approval. I want you to like me. But God has called me not to seek your approval, but to proclaim the truth of his word. And I have to trust that the Lord will work. We saw it here immediately. It says they believed in God. Paul says this. He says in 1 Corinthians 11:1, 1, be imitators of me as I am of Christ. How simple is that? And we learn from Paul in his letter to the Romans, we've been touching on Romans, that the gospel begins with an understanding of the coming wrath and judgment of God against ungodliness. Paul is doing this. He's merely imitating the same message of Jesus. Like Jesus is out in front of him. He's looking at Jesus and following his path. And he's looking behind him and he's saying, hey guys, come on. And he's still saying that to us today. Come on, come follow me. Do what I do. Imitate me as I follow Christ, as I imitate Jesus. I'll say that, man, I want to be like Jesus. I want to live like, we call this sanctification. We've, through faith in Christ, we've escaped the judgment of God. Okay, we've been declared now his children. We've been adopted into his family. We received the full inheritance, even though we did none of the work. So we're made right. We call that justification. And now in this present time, we're being sanctified, which means we're becoming more like Jesus. The desire of every Christian in this room should be, I want to be like Jesus. I want to imitate what Jesus did. Paul is imitating in Romans the same message of Jesus. It's the whole gospel. Remember, it's not good news if there's not first bad news. And Jesus, this is, this is the beauty of Jonah. Jesus uses Jonah as a means to convey soon coming judgment to people who are rejecting him in Matthew 12, 41. He says, the men of Nineveh will rise up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it. Why? Because they rejected the Savior. For they repented, the men of Nineveh repented at the preaching of Jonah. This is so cool. And behold, something greater than Jonah is here. Who's the greater? Come on, this is like kids ministry 101. Who's the greater? Jesus is the better, greater Jonah. So that we have, because of Jesus, we have no question in our mind. That question, like, like the Ninevites, who knows? We can say for certain, I know. That God is a great, uh, God of grace and mercy. And if I place my faith, trust, and confidence in him, he is faithful to forgive me all my sins. Everything I've ever done, past, present, in future. So a few points of application before we respond to the message. One, family, be confident in the means God has given us to reconcile the lost, which is the clear proclamation of his word. Stop overthinking things and just be honest with people. Love them by telling them the whole truth. Number two, speak the whole reality of the human condition and our relationship to God apart from Jesus. Where does someone stand? if they don't have Jesus. And the last thing, the most important thing I'm going to say today, if, if you're not a follower of Jesus, repent and believe the gospel today. 
If you've made that decision, if you're wrestling through and the spirit stirring within you a decision to follow after Jesus, they're going to be uh, some of our leaders, our elders will be in the front of the room up here. Please come up to them and have a conversation. These men would love to help you uh, be led to Jesus, to run to the foot of his cross, to pray with you and talk to you about what uh, that means. Run to Jesus. 